Welcome to the sermon podcast for Restoration Nazarene Church, where we encourage you to be the gospel today so that you can share the gospel tomorrow. I don't know about you, but that was such a powerful worship moment. I Sometimes I forget how much God loves us. Sometimes I, I forget how, how his presence is around us, that, that sometimes I, I get so caught up in, in life, so caught up in the world that I, I miss out on his presence. I miss out on the Holy Spirit and what he is doing through all of it. I want to read to you the last part of Jesus' sermon in Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 13. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruits you will recognize them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Therefore, anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall, because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. What do we do with this passage? This section of scripture, when I read it, it, it's difficult for me. Not everyone will enter heaven. The road is narrow and only a few people can find it. And and even those that face God in the end, those that claim to proclaim the name of Jesus could be turned away when it comes down to it. Why is it so difficult to enter into the kingdom of God? Why is it so hard to enter into heaven? And these are are the final words that Jesus gives us in his sermon, on his Sermon on the Mount. And and I want you to think about this for a moment. Think about it in, in all of what he is saying. So Jesus climbs up on this mountain He's on the side of a mountain. A large crowd comes to gather to hear him speak. They've seen him perform miracles. They know about who he is, and now they gather to hear him speak. And this is what Jesus does. He, he talks to them about the kingdom of God. 
He talks about what it means to be a true disciple. And then his closing statement, the end where, where if you think about giving a speech, this is the moment where you want everybody to stand on their feet and shout and clap. But instead, Jesus closes out and says, thanks for listening, but unfortunately, not many of you are even going to make it. That's not very encouraging. In these final words, Jesus gives us four different things that he talks about. First, he says, it's hard to find the path to enter heaven. The road is narrow and only a few people can find it. Second, those that do find it, you have to worry about all these these people, these false prophets, because they're going to try and pull you away from that narrow road. They're going to try and trick you, to distrieve you, to lead you astray. So not only is it difficult to find this narrow road, but now you have to worry about people that are going to try and pull you away to trick you. Third, even still, those that do find the path and make it to the end to talk to God, not everybody gets to make it into heaven. Some will proclaim the name of Jesus, but still not make it. And finally, Jesus says that we need to take his words seriously. He says, if you don't want to be like a foolish builder, then be wise and listen to my words. Being a disciple of Jesus is hard. It is hard work to be a disciple. Throughout his entire sermon that we've been looking at for the last several weeks, Jesus says that to be a true disciple means a couple of different things. He starts off and he says, you're going to suffer and you need to find joy in that suffering. You need to be a light in the world, which means that you have to go out of your way so that people can see you because you can't be a light that's hidden. You must go out there. So you know that you're going to suffer. You can't hide in safety. You must go out there and face what this world is going to put at you. And light makes it easy for us to be targets. He then goes on to say that we can't be angry. If we look upon somebody lustfully, we need to cut out our eye, cut off our hand, We can't get divorced. We can't make oaths or promises. We can't seek revenge, but we need to let people walk all over us, right? He says that we need to give to the needy. He says that we have to pray, but we can't pray in public. We must pray in private. We can't let other people see what's going on. If we're going to fast, we can't let other people know about that. He says that, that we shouldn't store up earthly treasures, that we can't worry or have anxiety, that, that we can't cast judgment upon somebody else, and that we need to trust in God to provide what we need. And then after this nearly impossible list, he ends with saying, not everybody can even do these things. It is not easy to be a disciple of Jesus. If you want an easy life, then don't follow Jesus. Yes, I said that. If you want an easy life, then don't follow Jesus. It is easier to go your own way. It's easier to choose your own path, to live life how you want to. But does the easy path lead to a better life? Does the easy path lead to a good and healthy life filled with joy and happiness? I'm going to be honest. I have yet to meet 
a non-Christian, somebody that does not follow Jesus, that is legitimately happy. And I'm being serious. I know several people that, that don't follow Jesus that have walked away from the church and they, they originally claim that they are happy, but it doesn't last. Their happiness doesn't last. Relationships end, jobs change, people leave, your health declines. They may find happiness for a while, but it, but it eventually fades away and then they have to find it in something else. And eventually they get to a place where, where they're not happy. And eventually, as I continue to talk to them, they eventually share with me that they really are not happy. Now, most of them, not all, but many of them are quick to say that, that they're not happy because Christians make their lives miserable, because Christians call them out, because Christians try to tell them how they should live. And I'm not making this up. I've had these conversations with people. This is what they tell me. At first they say, no, I am happy. And then we start talking about it. I get to know them. And usually like a year or two later, then they finally admit, you know, I, I guess I'm not really happy. But why I'm not happy is because all these Christians, these church people that, that think they're better than me, they, they try to tell me how to live my life. And that makes me upset. But, but I wonder, is it really us that they're unhappy with? Or is the spirit convicting them? And they just don't want to accept it. It is easier to get angry at us, to blame us for going down the wrong path than it is to realize what they're doing. If you want a truly happy and healthy and good life, then don't expect the road to be easy. How easy is it to lose weight and build muscle? It's not. If it was, then everybody would be fit. Everybody could run marathons. Everybody could lift however much they wanted to. If it was so easy, nobody would have to set New Year's resolutions that they give up to on two weeks later. It is difficult. You actually need to work at it. You need to break your eating habits. You need to break your laziness habits. You need to actually think about what you're doing. You need to think about what food you are eating, how much of that food you are eating. And, and it's, it's almost like a completely different lifestyle. And not only is it difficult to, to change that lifestyle, but then you also have to deal with family members, friends, loved ones that judge you for not eating that dessert. The holidays are coming up. How hard is it to say no to that pumpkin pie? I don't like pumpkin pie, so it's very easy. Unfortunately, many people cannot lose weight or work out on their own. To succeed, most of them, not everybody, most people have to hire a personal trainer. Or they do it with somebody else. They join an, an, a group, a class. They find an accountability partner, somebody to work out with, someone to go on a diet with. Because there is something powerful about having a community around you, encouraging you and supporting you. Which is what the church is supposed to do. Being a disciple of Jesus is hard. It requires a new way of living. It requires you to break down your unhealthy habits, to think about what you are doing, to, to put in the work of exercising, 
exercising your walk with Jesus. It is hard to do it alone, which is why we need each other. We need spiritual guides, spiritual coaches to help walk us along that path. We need the church. We need community to support us and encourage us. We need the church. But we also, Jesus says that we need to choose those people wisely. We need to be careful about who we choose because not everybody is going to to be healthy for us. There are wolves out there in sheep's clothing. We need to look at the people around us and in our own life and ask ourselves, do we see good fruit being produced? Do we see good fruit being produced in the people that we spend time with? Do we see good fruit from those that we listen to or those that we let guide us? Or, and this one may hurt, do we see good fruit being produced from the church that we involve ourselves in? Now, currently, you are all sitting here at Arnas or joining us online. If you don't see good fruit happening here, I give you all permission to call me out, to say, I don't see good fruit. What is going on? We need to change. You all have permission to do that. Jesus says, if you slap me on the cheek, I have to let you slap the other one too, right? Go back and watch that sermon. If you ever attend a church where you do not see good fruit being produced, you have two options. One, you run away as quickly as humanly possible. Or two, you stay and bring about that change. You help them produce the fruit that is needed. We must be conscious of who we are surrounding our lives with because unfortunately there are people out there that will lead us astray. And so not only is it hard to find the path, But now there are things in the world that take our focus away, that pull us off of the path. And in order to get to heaven, as Jesus says, we must produce good fruit. And then he says in verse 21 that not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. So think about this statement for a moment. Jesus is telling us that there are two groups of people. Those that call Jesus Lord and those that don't. Those that don't call Jesus Lord, they're not even included. They've they've already been ruled out on this. We are now left with a group of people that have called Jesus Lord. But then he says that there are two more groups within this. Those that actually do the will of the Father and those that don't. And to those that simply say that Jesus is king, they are not welcome in heaven. Why? He answers that in verse 23 and says that they are evil doers. In other words, these people are the wolves that are in sheep's clothing. These are the evil doers that do not produce good fruit. On the outside, they look like a Christian. They may even say Christian things. They may even appear to do flashy spiritual things like praying in front of people, like giving money to those in need. The difference is that their motives are wrong. They pray for others to see them. They give so that others will think more highly of them. They call Jesus Lord with their lips, but they don't actually change their lives. 
I was at the gym this week. And, and, and I started off and I, I did a run on the treadmill and I wanted to do something light. And so I ran about 20 miles or so. Um, hey, I, I thought that would be light. So, so I attempted to run 20 miles on the treadmill first. And then I went over to the bench press. I mean, I'm a guy who doesn't like bench press. And I wanted to show off. And so I found all the weight that I could and threw it on the bar. There was about 645 pounds, about 300 on each side, and then the 45-pound bar. I sat down, and those bigger guys in the gym, they quickly ran over and said, kid, you cannot do this without our help. And I said, no, you watch. I grabbed it. I pulled it down. I repped out 20 all the way down to my chest, racked it back up on the bar, and they were amazed at what it is that I could do. How many of you believe me? <laughs> Nobody? I can say all the right things, but you can quickly look at my body and know that I cannot run 20 miles and that I cannot lift 600 pounds. I don't know if I could lift 200 pounds. You can look at my life and easily tell if I am telling the truth or not. In the same way, you can look at my life and know if I am a sheep or if I am a wolf by the fruit that is produced. Not just the words that I say, not just what I want you to see, but when you actually look at my life, when you actually evaluate who I am, you can tell. And if you can tell who other people are by looking at them, and keep in mind that, that you don't really know who somebody is. You're just making an assumption based off of what you can see. But if you have that ability, how much more does our Father in heaven know us, know our true self? We cannot fool him. We might be able to fool those around us, but we cannot fool God. And all of you that are here today, in person or online, let me ask you. Jesus says that there are two groups of people, those that call him Lord and that those do not. Which group are you in? For those that are thinking, I'm in the group that calls Jesus Lord, Jesus says, great, there's two more groups. Those that call him Lord with their lips but don't do anything, and those that actually follow the will of God. Notice that Jesus doesn't give us a middle group. There isn't a half following. There isn't a, well, I follow God's will sometimes, but not other times. I follow God's will Monday through Wednesday, but then Thursday through Saturday, I get to party and do what I want. There is no middle ground. You either do or you do not. Are you following the will of God in your life? Are you following God's will for your life? Now that question assumes that you know what God's will is for your life. So do you know what God's will is for your life? It changes as we grow, as we move into new situations. Do you know what God's will is for your life? How do you determine what that is? To get that answer, join us in December on Wednesday evenings for three weeks of discipleship class where we'll learn what God's will is for our lives and how to apply that and grow as a disciple. Jesus says that it is not easy to be a disciple. The path is narrow. There are those that can lead us astray. 
We even have to do the will of God to change our lifestyle. And then we have to listen to the words of Jesus. But there is something deeper that Jesus is giving us here. And to get that that deeper message that he's giving us, we have to take a step back for a moment and look at this whole story of Jesus together. And before I jump into that, I, I was reminded this week of, of my grandparents. They, they, live on, they live in Minnesota. Their house sits on this hill that overlooks this lake. And the lake, it's not a giant lake. It's, it's maybe about 10 miles around, and you can go all the way around. And when I was about 10 years old, I went on a bike ride to go around, and I was with my uncle at the time. And, and the path is usually easy to follow. You can find it. It's, it's been traveled on, so it, it's packed down. You can see where it is. They've put little rock things everywhere, so you can usually follow where it is. And, and again, I'm, I'm 10, and so I'm riding my bike with my uncle, and I'm in front. And I was going, and I was riding the bike, and I hit this little rock. And so to avoid crashing, I steered off of the path for a moment. But what I didn't realize is that there was this giant beehive And so I went right underneath this beehive and my 10-year-old mind was picturing the cartoons of all the bees that just chase you, like that big swarm that's going. And so I'm pedaling as fast as I can to get away from these bees and I am just going and going and going. And in my mind, again, 10 years old, these bees were right behind me. I could hear them moving. They They were touching me and going. And so I was going as fast as I can. Before I knew it, when I finally realized that the bees were never chasing me, I had lost my uncle and I had lost the path because I wasn't paying attention to where I was going. And now this entire area is all woods, just trees everywhere. So you you look and you can't tell where you are. You can't really look up to find northeast, southwest based on the sun's direction. And so I I don't, don't have my uncle and I don't have the path. And then again, 10 years old, I thought I was gonna starve to death. And I was like, okay, great. I, I don't know where to sleep. I don't know what I'm gonna do. I don't know how to get out of here. I, I, I'm not very loud, so I can't shout for help. What am I gonna do? And so I, I just kept riding until eventually I saw one of those rock patterns that outlined the path. Eventually I saw the marker that led me to the path and I took that path and was able to get out and make it to my grandparents' house. If it were not for those rock markers, I wouldn't have known where to go. And I tell you this story because this is what the the gospel is doing for us. Matthew, who wrote this gospel, he is giving us these, these markers throughout the entire story of Jesus. And we have the first marker here in this story in verse 28, which says, when Jesus had finished these words, and you think about that, how is that a marker? When you first read it, you don't think anything about it, but they're repeated several times throughout the gospel, and they're always at the end of something really important. Here's the first one in chapter 7, right after his really long sermon on the mount where he challenges us, flips the kingdom, our expectations upside down. The next one is found in chapter 11 where Jesus teaches the disciples about their mission. And then it's chapter 13 after he teaches the, all these parables, these stories of what the kingdom of God is like. Then it's chapter 19, right after Jesus teaches about the importance of community. 
And then the final one is in chapter 26. And this is at the end of his life. He's in Jerusalem right before he's about to be arrested and die on the cross. Step by step, Matthew, the author of this gospel, is leading us down this path with these markers. And if we start off reading the gospel, not knowing anything about Jesus, we start off and we follow these markers, eventually we find ourselves going down the path, learning more about who Jesus is until we're finally brought to the end of his life. When he dies, he is raised from the dead and he explains who he is as Messiah. And right before this in chapter seven, right before this marker, we have this story this parable of wise and foolish builders that are building a house. And at first, it seems a little out of place with everything that Jesus is talking about. But, but there's something more with this parable. In chapter 24 of Matthew, while Jesus is spending his final moments in Jerusalem, this is right before this last marker in chapter 26, he, he talks about the temple in Jerusalem. And he tells everyone that the temple is going to be destroyed, that there won't be a single stone left. And we know that the temple is destroyed, and it's destroyed in two different ways. John's gospel compares Jesus' body to the temple that would be destroyed and then on the third day raised again. And the second way, we know that it was physically destroyed about 60 years after Jesus died, or 40 years after Jesus died by Nero, the Roman emperor who destroys the temple. Now think about this. Jesus says that the builder who does not listen to his teachings will build a house that will eventually come crashing down. The majority of the Jewish people did not listen to Jesus. And what happened? Their sacred house, their temple came crashing down. But before he died, listen to what Jesus does. Matthew 16. Jesus asked his disciples, who do you say that I am? Verse 16, Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but my father in heaven. Listen to this. And I tell you that you are Peter. Peter means rock. And on this rock, which is Peter, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Jesus promises that, that Peter's confession of faith will form this, this rock, this way of life that is completely different. And that is what the church would be built up on. Instead of, of a failed religion, this failed institution of, of what they thought was right, there was a community that was built up instead, a church that believes that Jesus is the Messiah. The religion institution that existed placed so much false trust and focus in the temple in Jerusalem that eventually... It was destroyed. It led to the destruction. Church, if we are not careful, we could begin to focus on the wrong things and eventually our house will fall down. But there's good news. Jesus came 
to establish a new covenant with us. He came not only to pay for our debts, but also to offer us a new life that is built upon this rock, the true life that is offered through Jesus. Throughout the gospel, we see this message starting in chapter one that Jesus is Emmanuel, which means God with us. Then we see that he establishes a new covenant with us. It's us and God where he restores this relationship. He then says that we have the ability to produce good fruit and we have the ability to do the will of the Father. All of this is possible because of Jesus' work on the cross who died for our sins, but who also promised to, to never leave us, to be with us for eternity. On our own, we become like the wolves. We become like the Pharisees. We focus on the wrong things. We choose the easy path. We are led astray. Our house is eventually destroyed. Sure, the house might look nice and sparkly and flashy for a while, but once the storm comes, our house will crash down. But because of the grace of God and the work of Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit and the help of the church, we have the ability to build our house on the true solid foundation of God, the rock that holds us all. We have the ability to find that narrow path. We have the ability to know who is true and who is false. We have the ability to produce good fruits in our life to do the will of the Father so that when it comes to the end, Jesus can say, welcome, well done, good and faithful servant. So why is it so hard to enter into the kingdom of God? Because it's the right path. It's not the easy path. Why is it so hard to be a Christian? Because that is the narrow path. That is the right path. It is not the easy path. The question then that Jesus gives us is, what are you going to do with this? He gives us a choice. He says, you're going to build a house. That's not the question. You're going to build a house with all of your actions, with all of your thoughts, all of those things together build a house. It builds who you are. So the question is, what foundation will you build this house on? Will you be like the foolish builder who builds it on false things? Or will you be the wise builder that builds it on the foundation of God? Will you be the wise builder that takes the word of Jesus, applies it to your life to produce good fruit? This all starts at the foundation, the rock on which the house is built. That is Jesus. It starts with believing in Jesus and desiring to build our house upon him. It starts with us being thankful for what Jesus has done for us. As we close out this service, here's what I want you to do. Amy Kellenberger is going to pass out little pieces of paper. Today is the last Sunday before Thanksgiving. And I mentioned that every week leading up to Thanksgiving that we would take a moment in the service to, to do a thankfulness moment. The first week, I thanked you all for your hard work, your producing of good work through volunteering. 
Last week, we celebrated birth, creation of what God does through baby dedication. So today, I want to encourage you to be thankful for Jesus. And here's what I want you to do. You're going to get this piece of paper and hopefully a pen if there's enough. And I want you to write down specifically what you are thankful for in Jesus. What is it that Jesus has done for you that you're thankful about? That's the first thing. First, you write down what you're thankful for that Jesus did for you. What did Jesus do for you that you are thankful for? Those online, you can grab a piece of paper, you could text it, write it out on your computer, put it in the comment section even. The second thing that I want you to do is I want you to make a commitment to Jesus for something. For me, I would write down that I am thankful that Jesus gave me a second chance. And my commitment to him is that I'm gonna take the hard path, the narrow road and follow after him. Continue thinking and praying through that as we close out with this song. Thanks for joining us today. We would love to continue the conversation and connect with you. Comment, like, subscribe, follow us on the socials at rnazchurch or our website, rnaz.church.